Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me tonight via StreamYard is my friend and co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, my brother, how you doing? Doing great. We're in, it's March Madness, not necessarily for the uh, the NBA, but, you know, especially for the Cavs who pre- seem pretty cemented right now. But for my That's Huskies, out. we're rolling. Yeah. I feel like we haven't watched Cavs basketball in 10 years, though. We just no, got a game on Friday. <laughs> Yeah, last played against Washington on Friday, and it feels like an eternity because they don't play, uh, at least as of recording right now, they don't play until tomorrow uh, when they kick off one of two against Brooklyn. Uh, But, Corey, with that said, you know, man, we've already been alluding to it. We have nine games left on the season, starting with the back-to-back matchups with the Brooklyn Nets. Dog. I would normally say these games are important, but, I mean, let's keep it a buck. Every single goddamn one of these is important moving forward, especially as the Cavs sit at 45 and 28 and currently fourth in the East. And they need a strong close to the season in order to maintain that spot. Now, of course, we all know how the seating works. One plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, and four plays five. And as of right now, if the season ended today, Cleveland would take on the New York Knicks, who set it two and a half games ahead of both the Brooklyn Nets and Miami Heat, and barring an unforeseen collapse from the Knicks, that's who we will likely match up with. So with all of that being said, Corey, give me your win-loss prediction for these final nine games. And just as a reminder, the Cavs' final opponents are the Nets, the Nets, Rockets, Hawks, Knicks, Pacers, Magic, Magic, and they close out the season against those pesky Charlotte Hornets. So... In nine games, Corey, let me know how you're feeling about our win-loss total during that period. I feel like there could be major asterisks with the win-loss as it goes as the season dwindles to an end. Because yes, we have a two and a half game lead over the Knicks, but the quality of play outside of this remaining schedule is not necessarily the strongest the Cavs have faced, and the Cavs they haven't shown that tendency much recently but they tend to play down to the level of their competition time to time but um i feel like they could i feel like there's some losses that could be thrown in solely because everything is kind of tied together and seating is kind of locked into place the Cavs have a pretty good chance of ending up with that fourth seed barring an absolute collapse <laughs> that we just we only saw towards the tail end of last year but luckily it seems like the team is getting together at the right time the be- the boys are back in town it seems like as, <laughs> as we head to brooklyn but i would probably say it's safe to say the Cavs go six and three in that stretch i feel like the best chances they have uh, to lose are against the Knicks and the Pacers. If I'm being honest, I'm much more. Uh, I, I feel like the Nets, while they have kept the ship afloat in the uh, post KD Kyrie era, I, I think they just don't have the the star power necessary to close out games when the time is ready. Not saying any slight against Mikael Bridges in the slightest. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm I'm looking at this slate here, and I see some very winnable games. Um, no disrespect again to Bridges, but I feel like the, 
the Cavs can certainly take on the Nets and beat them in both. Um, I, I feel like that's something that at this point in time, especially if you get Jared Allen back in the mix, like we're going to talk about. But I, I highly believe that these are two winnable games. The Rockets, the Rockets feels like the ultimate trap game to me. I don't know. If, I don't know if you feel that way, but I'm like looking at them on this ladder into the schedule. And I'm like, this is a game that, in the past, the Cavs probably would drop just because of the circumstances and being an unexperienced, well, inexperienced team. But I'm going to go ahead and say that's an L. Uh, and that's a, a W two <laughs> Freudian slip. I'm going to go ahead and say right. that's a W two. So three and zero. The Hawks. I feel like we just do not traditionally play the Hawks well recently. I don't know if it's just me, and I feel like obviously I feel like this Cavs team is better. Than the Hawks, I think the collective backcourt of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell is better than Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Thankfully, we did not make that Murray trade when it was presented because you look how the Hawks are struggling right now, uh, barely beat a 500 <laughs> and so. But I believe that this is also one that the Cavs can take. They don't worry me as much as they typically do. So I'm going to go 4-0 right there being the homer that I am where it gets a little dicey to me is the Knicks who we just said, this is a potential playoff opponent and probably who will likely end up seeing in a series. This Knicks team scares me. And it's not that I believe the Cavs can't win in a series. It's just the fact that this feels like a terrible matchup for them. Like, it just feels like a, a very rough matchup. Julius Randle has played very good basketball against the Cavs uh, as of late, and you're going to need Jared Allen to be at his healthiest for this one. Does, the, does, does this Knicks matchup scare you at all? No, I feel like it's kind of like the last litmus test for this Cavs team as they go into postseason. I feel like this will be their like last major push because if they beat the Knicks, that further separates them. And this is like, assuming that they also beat Brooklyn at least one of the next two times. But um, I feel more intrigued than worried because I've said it before, but I feel like the Cavs truly have the a case to be made that they have two of the best three players in the series. Uh, Donovan obviously being one of them. You can choose uh, your opinion between Garland and Brunson and Julius Randle. I seem to tend to think Garland is at least better than Randall because Randall has been up and down. He, his postseason record was not great. I mean, that Hawk series a few years ago was a real disappointment. I think to Knicks fans everywhere, <laughs> it's gotta be, especially and he carried it all the way through the net, the season following. And then he shook off the rust with uh, a point guard that could actually take the ball from him. So uh, I I feel pretty confident if we play the Knicks. Yes, the Knicks are a team that are going to just turn it into just a fist fight that you didn't expect. It's going to be ugly series. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to kind of feel like an old school 80s series where it's just punches being thrown by both sides. Not, not a lot of glitz and glamour, but, you know, I would be pretty pumped to watch that series. And I would also be very pumped to watch uh, – the the net series as well if anybody is wondering why i'm making this face if you're watching live it's because i'm looking at the score of this new york knicks 
Minnesota Timberwolves game right now. Julius Randle, no lie, with three minutes and 51 seconds left in the third, has 45 damn points. He's got, he's got 45 points on 15 to 22 from the field and six of 10 from the three point range and nine of 10 from the free throw line. Holy shit. These, these high scoring games, <laughs> these high scoring games are becoming just absolutely ridiculous, man. It's, it's 99 95 in the third. Now, Rudy Gobert really helps shore up that Minnesota defense. What can I say? Rudy Gobert, 16 points. Man, you got, is that was that just a a, a swind a swindle? I don't know what term you want to put on it. By uh, yeah, they pulled the wool over the eyes. <laughs> the Utah Jazz deserve the Executive of the Year award because they turned Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell into the complete next phase of their franchise pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a what a disappointing season for Minnesota. Um, this was injury written really, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, they've obviously had some bad luck with injury and, you know, and then trading D'Angelo Russell and whatnot. I'm sure that prior to the season, they did not see a lot of these different things coming, uh, down like the Rudy Gobert being ass. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he's washed? Cause I've seen some people suggest no. that he is. <laughs> no, I just feel like it, he's just not a good fit. He actually is a way better fit by himself than with Carl Anthony towns, which has led to a lot of discourse. I see on the Timberwolves, uh, Twitter being like, we just got to bite the bullet and get rid of towns now because it, if you want the Rudy Gobert trade to make any sense, then you got to at least get rid of Cat because it would clear the way for Anthony Edwards and it would allow Rudy Gobert to have someone to share the floor with that won't leave him like on an island. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. I mean, he, he just – he can still put up stats. Yeah, he can come to the Cavs if he wants. If he wants to play the <laughs> like, that's cool. <laughs> We've run all lineups, so. I mean, yeah, it'd be a replacement Lowry, right? Without the spacing. But he's not the finisher, so, you know, it's just not worth it. Moving on. Okay, so you're you're feeling like that's going to be a W? Uh, I hope it's a W. I mean, it's at home, so that's good because the Cavs are very good at home, and they're, like, I would say average on the road. (laughs) That's if I could put it nicely. I mean, we're not Golden State level on the road, but we're we're a half-decent road team, to say the least. Uh, yeah, that and the Pacers, like I said, I think are our most are going to be the last tests because I think against Orlando, like I feel like the seating will kind of have been sorted out for us. We should be sitting comfortably at either the four. Uh, yeah, the four. If we're if we're in playing Orlando and there is meaning uh, like meaningful games left, then, you know, something went awry. I yeah I feel like we kind of have this comfortable lead on where we are right now and I use comfortable very very lightly. Um, I think a lot would have to go wrong for the Cavs in order for them to fall down further than they are right now. Uh, with that said, to your point, the Cavs I believe are twenty nine and eight at home. Very good record. Very good record. So t- taking the Knicks, um, I although they scare me, I feel like this is a winnable game. Uh, <clears throat> that one's that with that said, the Cavs also struggle on the road. Conversely, they are 16 and 20 on the road. So as you can no doubt tell, that is going to be the key, uh, getting some of these wins away from home. So you have the Pacers, I believe at home as well. 
Indiana, I, I, I believe they're without Tyrese Halliburton right now. They don't really necessarily terrify me at all. How, how are you feeling about that one? Um, I feel like they're pretty, like, you catch them on the right night, and they look like one of the best teams in the East. I mean, there was a stretch where they were in the – the like eighth seed for a little bit. I don't know why it developed a southern draw there <laughs> to say seed, but but uh, that's the Indiana in me, you know. Uh, but yeah, I feel like they could just sucker punch us when we least expect it as well. And going back to your Rockets comment, first off, how dare you? Because I'm supposed to be going to that game, and if they lose that game, I will cry. <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, we'll put up a triple double in that game. You know, that wouldn't make me like super depressed to be there for his like to be there for his renaissance after I've seen he get he's he's catching a lot of strays these days, Mac. As as much as we kinda like Cavs Twitter and Rockets Twitter beef with one another, I think there there has to be some level of respect for some of the talent that's over there. I mean, Evan Mobley is definitely, you know, far exceeds Jalen Green, but I'm not, gonna, you. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and disrespect the whole roster. They have some nice young pieces over there. I've always liked Kevin Porter Jr.'s game. It's just we all know the well-documented history that he's had. Hopefully, I, I think he's turned things around. I haven't heard anything bad about him. Uh, you know, they, they Jabari Smith and Shangoon and Kenya Martin Jr., they have some What pieces. about your boy? <laughs> Who, Jason? Uh, Tari? Who? Tari Eason? Tari I have, honestly have not checked up to see how well he's been playing recently. I've kind of like tried Tari to. has been looking like a stud. You should be doing your victory laps. No. I mean, I should. I'm depressed when I'm looking at this rookie class because I'm seeing that Ochai is, is having a very good stretch recently as well. And it's kind of making me feel like, man. Why can't we have somebody like that right now? Because we have Donovan Mitchell. Exactly. exactly. Well, we know why, Corey. We know why. I'm just saying, like, it just depresses me just a little bit because I feel like we could definitely use a player like that off the bench right now. I love the discourse on Twitter with Cavs fans where it's just like, man, I wish we had, like, all these, like, players we shouldn't have given up. Like, Lowry would be so (laughs) nice right now. Colin would be so nice right now. Okjai, I'm like, yeah, do you think – all right, are you are you talking about a world in which we have Donovan and those players? Because yeah, that world seems pretty cool. But or if you're like, oh man, I wish I had Alchai's really good stretch recently versus Donovan Mitchell's MVP esque season in most seasons. Well, absolutely not. No, I don't think anybody looks at it like that. I think that you just see uh, some of what these rookies are doing, and you're just like, man. Sometimes you just wish. They would have been able to figure out the deal without having to include them. Obviously, they did. Obviously, that was something that had to occur in order for the Cavs to get Donovan, and it's worked out for everybody thus far. So I'm really, really hoping that that continues to be the case because I honestly, I don't know about you, man, but I love seeing the the, the guys that we shipped off to Utah doing well. Yeah, um, they're Cavs West. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean. Uh, Abaji doing well, having a, a good stretch. Obviously, Lowry making an All Star team. Colin having a pretty good season when he's out there. Up you know, the All Star game. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson, another Cav. Yeah, they, the, the the connections run deep in Utah. All success just comes back to to Cleveland, Ohio. What can I say? Yeah, but at the end of the day, like TuneIn Sports One says down there, you know, we'll, we'll take Spider any day of the week. The funny thing about that is I actually saw <laughs> quite a bit of uh, Twitter beef the other day in regards to this. And 
it's just probably not going to stop anytime soon just because this is what we do. We, we talk about these trades. It's still relatively fresh. Um, and we'll probably not stop talking about it at least for another season just to see like who truly looks like a winner here and, and like who, who won the trade. It's just too early to determine that right now. Especially when there's a uh, propaganda pusher on Twitter who will remain nameless. <laughs> We're definitely not going to mention that person. I'm tired, <laughs> giving, I'm tired of giving them shine. Or her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm tired. I, I'm completely tired of giving them opportunities to, to, to shine, so I'm not going to mention either one. Uh, and, instead, we're just going to move on here with the matchups. Um, magic. Magic. So back-to-backs with the magic. And that's in a way. How are you feeling about those? Uh, the Magic, I, I honestly, the Magic are like one of my, uh, like, you know how people have the show that they're really embarrassed that they watch and they would never admit to others. The Magic are kind of like my uh, team. I wouldn't admit that I watch as frequently as I do. They're what is fun. the show? What's the show? I'm not saying that in public. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the Twilight Saga. Oh, man. Obviously, they cooked for that one. Uh, no, Orlando at twenty nine and forty three right now is not as bad as their record indicates. They are not as bad as their record looks. I mean, they have some quality wins, man. They have some quality wins as of late, and they just nearly made the Lakers. Speaking of the Lakers, Austin Reeves, what the hell? Did you see that? Yeah, the dude's a stud. What can I say? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the point is that you know you just can't look at these records and just say, man, this team is shitty because they're, they're not. They have some quality pieces there. I mean, I've always been a big fan of Markel Fultz. Pa- uh, Paolo's really starting to take on both the Wagner brothers doing some big things. Is there any, any point in which you, you look at this team and you're just like, the Cavs will either split – in this or they'll lose both or do you feel completely confident i could see them winning the first game and then just going into the second game and just absolutely laying an egg due to just you know end of the season you let some slip just because you're looking down rather than looking ahead and you i i wouldn't be surprised if the Cavs lose like one of the three to the magic or the hornets to end the season yeah, I mean, when you're when you're really thinking about it, if they're if they feel like they have a comfortable enough lead on the fourth seed, they're probably going to start taking some guys out, giving some guys some run. I mean, we we got Sam Merrill for the rest of the season. Going to try and get Danny Green some minutes, I'm sure, because we've started to hear more and more about him possibly being in, you know, in line to receive some rotation minutes in the postseason. I, I don't know how true that is. Um, you know, you, you want to get some of these guys who are on the end of the bench some time to shine. And you obviously the number one priority is health. You want to maintain the health because we've seen how devastating that can be uh, for the Cavs during the stretch run. As we saw with Jared Allen last season, I was terrified that we were going to see it this year. Um, you, you want to maintain health as your top priority. And so if you if you can get these guys out earlier than expected, great. If you if you're Feeling like you have that fourth seed locked up? By all means, go ahead and rest some people. And if you lose the games a game or two against the Magic or the Hornets, so be it. Um, and then again, 
You have the Hornets, like we just mentioned, as the final game of the regular season, in which I am 100% positive we are not going to see the starters. You think that's going to be an L? If, if any of these are going to be an L, is that going to be an L? Uh, no. Sam Merrill is about to go off. 30. <laughs> you drop a 30-burger on him? Tim, Danny Green's going to look like he's been playing for the past 10 years, looking spry as ever. It's going to be a great – the, the other Mobley is going to just absolutely go ham. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it, it could easily be a loss, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I feel like the Hornets would probably want to end their season like some – unless there's like lottery odds at stake for the Hornets, mm-hmm. I would say that they're probably going to give it their all to end the season on a good note to head into next season. Yeah, I can definitely see that moving forward. Uh, okay, to put a bow on top of this schedule right here, these nine games, give me a win-loss prediction one more time. Six and three. Six and three. Who are the three losses? I'm going to say uh, one of the Nets games, the Pacers, and the Hornets. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to go seven and two. I say – one to the Nets, and we drop the game to the Knicks. You are so pessimistic against these Knicks, man. It's not that I'm pessimistic, man. You're like, oh, man, Randall just dropped 52. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. It feels like like in a seven-game series, I am most certain the Cavs can take them out. But in a singular game, a singular matchup, I don't know. There's something about them that don't make me feel good. Yeah, thank you for quoting that correctly. 52 points. It's still <laughs> 10 minutes left in the fourth in a 111-112 Knicks-Wolves game. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous, man. That's why he terrifies me in you know, the, this, this matchup. Right well, here. the stretch fours have been the bane of the Cavs' existence all season, except for Kevin Love. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Wait uh, to kiss our boy. First off, let's not have you claim him as your boy, all right? I have been on the Kevin Love bandwagon the entire season. Uh, you just switched up on him. You threw him under the bus. What a sneak disc. It's called coping, Mac. It's oh, oh, that's what we're calling it. Okay. Kevin Love has been getting the shit beat out of him ever since he left Cleveland, so you can't say it's not karmic. I mean, I feel for him, but I don't. Because he did want out. He deserved the opportunity, I suppose, after what he brought to the table. But I I don't know. We already know what how I felt about it. I'm not going to rehash it. I just – I think that for Cleveland, you just got to move on. And that includes you too, Corey. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've moved on uh, mentally, not emotionally. That love is always there. Hey, you still got Dean, man. You still got Dean. Anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about players that are productive. Oh, what a diss! What a diss! All right. Well, with that being uh, with that being said, we got quite a bit of an update today from Chris Fedor about Jared Allen, as I'm sure most of you have already heard. According to Fedor, Allen participated in everything the team did at practice today. He will make the trip to Brooklyn. He will not wear goggles when he plays, and his status for tomorrow depends upon how he feels and recovers ahead of tomorrow's game, which is bad news for folks really wanting to see Jared Allen wearing goggles. But good news for those of us who want to see him on the court in any capacity because he means that much to this team. 
Allen might be putting up fewer points than he was last year, but he is as efficient as always, Corey. He will finish this season with a top five mark in overall field goal percentage and the second highest field goal percentage in Cavs history behind only, can you guess who? Evan Mobley. Jared Allen. Jared Allen currently owns the Cavs' highest field goal percentage in uh, team history. So if you guys didn't know that, there's a little fun fact of the day. He's actually going to have back-to-back seasons finishing with the highest field goal percentage in Cavs history. That's pretty dope, in my opinion. Um, The man is that damn efficient. And on the defensive side of the ball, Evan Mobley, who gets all the love, all the attention for defensive player of the year on this team. But Jared Allen boasts a top five mark in defensive rating and defensive win shares. So to me, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, with skipping over the Mobley plug for defensive player of the year that I had to sneak in there. Of course. um, Jared Allen, man, he's he's kind of like an Isaac Okoro in, in the fact that he just doesn't get enough credit for like the sacrifices that he makes. Um, throw Karras in there too, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, but he just doesn't get enough love for everything that he contributes. And as we've often said here on this podcast, you see more of Jared Allen, like what he provides when he's not out there than when he is. <laughs> so, you know, for me – are you reading that comment down there? <laughs> I don't need to hear that. <laughs> um, you see more. You see more of what he brings to the table when he's not out there than when he is. That's when his that's when his value truly begins to show. So when you're thinking about a Jared Allen and what he means to this team, do you think, as of right now, if the Cavs had to navigate a Jared Allen injury into the playoffs, do you think that would ultimately doom them? Uh, 100%. <laughs> the uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley uh, defensive pairing is the backbone of this Cavs identity. Even though, you know, offensive players always get the shine, the glitz and glamour. The true Cavs fans know that if the Cavs didn't have those two stalwarts, anchoring the defense, then uh, we would be screwed. <laughs> Thank you, Jay Tiller. Wow, that dog has grills. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, if Jared Allen – like, every team in the East, I feel like, has a center that can disrupt the Cavs, especially if they're trying to make their way to the conference finals. I mean, yes, Joel Embiid still does his whatever he wants <laughs> against the Cavs, it feels like, but his job would be a lot hard, easier – without the presence of one of the two always on the floor at all times. And both is just an absolute terror. I think it would really just, and plus offensively, I mean, I know Jared Allen is a limited offensive player in terms of like where his shot profile is. It's pretty much rim running with the occasional elbow jumper and uh, the one in like 24 games, three point shot from the corner. But uh, the offensive profile is very dependent too. I mean, the give and go between Garland and Mitchell and Allen and uh, and uh, oh my God, Garland and Mitchell with Allen is a very good one-two punch that even statistically ranks among the highest in the league for pick and roll action. Mm. I did not know that. Thank you for pointing that out. No problem. I- 
I, I think <laughs> that when you're looking again at Jared Allen, and it's it specifically in, in regards to a player like Joel Embiid, who we know that that motherfucker is going to get whatever he wants. It's not necessarily that you can stop a player like that. It's that you can try and contain him. As we've often heard, <laughs> you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Um, it, the same applies to a player like Joel Embiid. And having a Jared Allen out there, his presence out there, is really, really appreciated. He can take some of that defensive work from Mobley's hands. And like I said, man, we, we, we talk all the live long day about Evan Mobley's Defensive Player of the Year caliber season. That does not happen, in my opinion, without having, at least during a, in a long-term stretch. Like, that does not happen without having a player of Jared Allen's caliber out there. The two feed off of one another. The two really, really assist one another and just kind of fit like a glove. We know Evan Mobley is much more of a perimeter uh, oriented. I'm not going to say perimeter oriented, but I will say he has a higher skill level of stepping out on the perimeter and defending out there if need be, as well as protecting the rim. As you know, and as for Jared Allen, while he can do the same, it's not quite at the same level. But I will give him the edge at least at this point in time in regards to pure rim protection Um, that's the way i see it and that's why i feel like they work so well together and as time goes on even if evan moby doesn't like transition into this magical center of the future for the Cavs and just stays at the four i'm i mean i'm I'm perfectly fine with that i mean you got jared allen on a very very um inexpensive contract that he's already made look like a budget deal (laughs) for him and Corey, let me just get you on the record as well, because I don't think we've talked a lot about this. Um, when you see potential trades uh, or hypotheticals involving Jared Allen and fans suggesting, well, we can just get 75% of what Jared Allen brings to the table from an average center, how does that make you feel? Do you feel like, one, because prices are going up for, for impactful players like this, uh, you know, and I get it, centers, the market for centers is not what it used to be. But I feel like saying something like that undersells and undervalues what he brings to the table. So when you hear something like that, does that does that irritate you? Uh, yeah, it just proves that people are ungrateful for stability and excellence in not in skill sets that aren't commonly admired amongst NBA fans. I feel like people just want like their center to be versions of like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. And if they're not like that, then they're obviously just like the stereotypical grab rebound, tall guy, go block shots. Like the amount of times I've seen the Nick Claxton, Mitchell Robinson, Jakob Pertl, like comparisons for Jared Allen is nauseating to say the least. I mean, why don't you go ask Celtics fans how valuable like their center Robert Williams is to them when he's out for like half the season and they have to go through these easy to replace positions of center. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they're absolutely loving their minutes with their backup centers and Blake Griffin having to play serious minutes for them some nights or uh, Sam Hauser getting more tread. I mean, it's just it's hilarious, honestly. Yeah, are we all enjoying the uh, experience of having to watch and hope that Rolo playing backup big minutes or Diakite coming in hey. is what we want? <laughs> you didn't have to do that. <laughs> oh, but I contractually did. <laughs> because, you know, you just have to – if you went up to all the fans in Cleveland, it's like, 
I will offer you a hundred million dollars of Jared Allen or vet men and two way contract. If you really want to save some money for 75% and you can have those guys <laughs> tell me who like you'd pick a guy go commercial. Just avoid mayhem like me. Oh, All state man. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that what he brings to the table, you're not just going to be able to find from any run in the middle center. And, you know, don't no disrespect to the Mitchell Robinsons and Yaka Pearls of the world. Cause those are fine players, fine role players now in their suck. own right. And as you know, we've often heard people say Jared Allen, and I don't think this is a slight, I think Jared Allen is like a very, very high-end role player. High-end role players can be all-stars. You see it all the time. And there's no, no nothing wrong with that. But just because you're a high-end role player doesn't make you any less valuable. He is a part of the core four for a reason. He's that important to what the Cavs do. Uh, but with that being said, yeah, we, I mean, this team is not getting anywhere in the playoffs without a healthy or at least semi-healthy Jared Allen. Um I, I, I like the minutes we get from Evan Mobley at the five, but I don't think he's quite ready for that. Nah, the kid needs to eat more Wheaties, get a little more bulked <laughs> up. <laughs> no, not Wheaties. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Um, outside of Jared Allen, though, there, there is definitely something that has made me feel a lot better recently, not just the Jared Allen news, and I'm sure it's made you feel a lot better as well and that's the fact that this bench is actually playing better they're playing better basketball over the Cavs last five games Corey their bench has scored 35.6 points per game which actually ranks 10th in the league during that stretch uh during that stretch in large part in to the production of three players in particular now let's start with three and work our way up and number three at least in my opinion and correct me if if you're feeling like your ranking is different, but at number three for me, Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio over his last four because uh, remember he missed. I, I believe he missed the Philly game, didn't he? Yeah, it was a back to back that in that was the most confusing reporting stretch of all time. <laughs> yes, Pete Moore uh, went from saying he's not playing to actually he is going to play, but only then like two minutes later, it's only if it's an emergency, and then it's like you know what, scratch that, he's not playing again. Exactly. All over his last four, Rubio is averaging nine and a half points, four and a half assists. And guess what? He's completing 50% of his total field goal attempts. I'm not going to include the three point. I'm just not no, going to. No, no, that, that gets omitted. Yeah, we're going to omit that because it's still not it's too good. You guys couldn't fathom <laughs> what it was. You might not even be able to visual, visibly comprehend how good it's been. What has stood out to you the most from Rubio during this stretch? It feels like he's just not making careless turnovers like we were seeing for a little bit of the stretch in past the past few weeks. I feel like I've seen Rubio just go like from thinking like every pass he had, it looked like, oh, wow, that was so calculated to Rubio passes being like, he's like, hmm, you know what? Fuck it. I'll try this. <laughs> and then he like throws a pass like completely across his body that gets picked off. And I'm just it. It was really – it was like on Rubio like – because like we know him for his savvy and it just felt like he kind of lost it along the way. And once that kind of reopens up, I feel like it allows him to create more open shot opportunities because he's no marksman by any stretch. But when he at least has some threatening level of offensive play, then that's when he's at 
as most valuable right now because I still think he's working back. So, yeah, yeah, I think like we we know that Rubio has never been a guy that has been predicated off of athleticism. He's never been a guy who's going to like destroy you with a highlight reel dunk. But he really has started to look like the Rubio of just last season. And and the best part is uh, during that stretch, he's only playing twenty one point seven minutes per game, uh, which it, to my knowledge just kind of makes me feel that the Cavs are trying to find ways to maximize his minutes, especially when he shares the floor with the next fella we're getting ready to discuss. And that is Jetty Osman. (laughs) What can we say about the first Jetty that hasn't already been said or fans don't already know? Uh, It it can be a roller coaster of a ride with Mr. Osman, but when he's on, he is on. When you have seen uh, when you have seen Osman over this recent stretch of games, what is the first thing that comes to mind? <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind for me, Mac, is his tantalizing performance against the Philadelphia 76ers, in which I don't know if you listened to, to it either. Uh, did you listen to it on Valley or did you listen to it on ESPN? ESPN. The <laughs> Doris Burke and Ryan Rucco were having a field day. With Jetty Osmond. Yes, with his up with his weird misses and stuff like that. <laughs> they were just like I was just starting to laugh audibly during the game when Doris Burke's like, I've never seen a player who can just <laughs> completely hit just the net on one shot and then just airball it on the next. It's crazy. I'm like, have you not watched Jetty Osmond on the Cleveland Cavaliers this year? I mean, I don't think a lot of them have I mean that game to me, and that stood out to me. But the only the, the biggest thing that stood out to me, obviously, was the Embiid bullshit. But you know, well, a, no, along yeah. with that was was the fact that they were like all on him. They all they did was praise him the whole game. They're like, "Wow, this GD Osman fellow is pretty decent." Um, I I don't know, man. I just like I see Osman play, and I'm happy. I'm legitimately happy for him because we've talked about this time and time again. He often seems to be in uh, JB's doghouse for whatever reason. He's continuously pulled from the lineup, but as of late, he's really stuck. Uh, so, do you think that his recent stretch of play is enough to guarantee him a spot within the playoff rotation? Oh, Mac, you sweet innocent child. <laughs> have you not learned that with Jetty Osmond's minutes off the bench, nothing is guaranteed? <laughs> Jetty Osmond could go and break the NBA single season scoring record, and JB would still have the the stones to <laughs> sit him with zero minutes in the following game, even if the Cavs are like down 40 points. I can't just sit here and think that Jetty has somehow earned minutes. Would I like Jetty to earn minutes? Yes. I feel like. I feel like Jetty, uh, what I've learned is that JB kind of is the, it's like, it seems like every game there's the break glass in case of emergency moment. And JB has two different glasses that he can break. It's either the Lamar Stevens or the Jetty Osmond, and there's no in between. I think you're right about that. And, you know, Lamar Stevens, we haven't really talked about him tonight, but Dog. <laughs> there's no better word to describe Lamar Stevens than dog. I mean, D-A-W-G. That man is hustle, hustle, hustle. And he may not be as as skilled as, you know, a lot of his counterparts, but he will continue to give and give and give as much hustle. And when he's out there, he's going to make the most of his minutes. Uh, but back to Osman, I just, I don't know. 
it's just for him, this is probably like the perfect Osmond stat over his last five games. He's averaging 10.8 points, three rebounds, and 1.4 assists. But Corey, the funny thing about that is that it's heavily bullied by that 24 point uh, performance against Philly. In the other four, he saw 13 minutes against Miami. He only had seven points. He saw eight minutes against Charlotte the first time, got three points. Uh, and well, actually, you know, I have that completely wrong. He it's heavily buoyed by that second Charlotte game when he scored 24 points and he went six to 10 from range. And then that Philly game, 15 points on three of 10 shooting. So it's heavily buoyed by one game, heavily buoyed by one game. He scored in single digits in three of those five games. So when, when you're, <laughs> that's like the perfect Jetty Osman thing right there. Like you just don't know what you're going to get from him on a game to game basis. But I feel like having a player out there that's, that can be a spark plug and can catch fire at the drop of a hat is kind of something you need in the postseason. Um, but especially for a bench that just hasn't been like lights good. out all year. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it as it is. <laughs> call it baby. It hasn't yeah. been good. They've been ass. Uh, except for this this five-game stretch that we're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the, this has been the whole season, the past five uh, games. <laughs> And then at number one, that that the number one most productive player <laughs> off the Cavs bench and sometimes starter, Karis LeVert. Me and Corey have gone to bat for this dude all season long, so we're not – at least I'm not. If Corey wants to, I'm going to give him the floor. But I'm not going to go on a rant like I really, really would like to because – I've I've done it all season long on this podcast and on Twitter. It's just like when you people finally wake up and realize that Karis LeVert has done nothing but sacrifice and give his all and just accept whatever role the Cavs have given to him this season, you're you're gonna see that this is a player that a lot of teams would like to have, despite the price tag. And his worth is going to come through especially in postseason. I'm not moving off of that. I will die on that hill. I feel like Karis LeVert's role in the postseason is going to be one that everybody needs to pay attention to and is going to be a reason why the Cavs are going to pay him. Corey, when you see Karis LeVert having another mini breakout, if that's what you want to call it, or just a period of consistency, which has been the biggest thing that people love to talk about, the inconsistencies with him. When you see him finally being consistent, what comes to mind for you? First off, Mac, very offended that you have not used my token slogan <laughs> that I've been trying to get going. People, we are in the Karis Lesurgence. <laughs> it's his time. <laughs> I, I don't know if it really worked off the tongue as well as it did on my Twitter page. It worked in your head. <laughs> it sounded really good to me on my Twitter page. But, uh, yeah, no, Karis has been phenomenal. I mean, obviously, this is what we were all hoping when we moved him to the six-man role. And ideally, that it should have been easier for him to get these opportunities. But he's kind of just been in the slump all season shooting-wise. And unlike other players on our bench, Cough, Cough, Dean Wade, uh, even though he's struggling, he's still trying to shoot it through it. And finally, he has the the odds are finally in Karis's favor. And like, honestly, I couldn't even say that he's been playing any differently than he has for the whole season. Oh, oh, wow. 
all right, Bob. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he hasn't been playing any differently all season. From well, this recent stretch is no different because it just feels like now the shots are going in. I mean, he's had open threes to take all season. He's been shooting them. He's been around league average from only the corner, but he's been pretty below average from every other spot, according to Cleaning the Glass. When I wrote my article on him, it was pretty sad to see how cold it was. But, you know, I can't be any more more pleased with Karis LeVert than I am right now. I mean, that's all I got to say. Just get ready for it. It's about to be a wild ride. Karis LeVert is leading us into the postseason as the third most important scorer on the Cavs. You heard it here first. And that's exactly how I feel. Like I said, I'm not going to go on a rant. You guys know how I feel about LeVert. Uh, but with that being the case, as we... As we always tell you guys, um, like and subscribe. Join the Discord chat at It's Cavalier at Gmail. And uh, we will personally send it to you. See ya.